where two or three are gathered, what? The Lord is with them, right? Well, there's another truth that's similar to that. Where two or three are gathered, conflict exists as well. <laughs> right? Uh, we're, as human beings, we, we just love conflict. Well, we don't, but we, we, it's just around us, right? We, we always have conflict. It's just reality, right? Two or three people get together, there's going to be conflict. Think about even like in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? Like there's two of them. Like, you know, can't they get along? I mean, it's just two of them. Like, even if they didn't like the person, they could, you know, go to the other side of the garden or something. Like, just get along, right? How can you do it? But no, right? As soon as something, you know, kind of goes a little off. Oh, is this woman? She did it. It wasn't me. It was that snake over there. I mean, it was crazy, right? It's just the conflict. Just if you have humans in the same room together, anywhere close to each other, existing community, it's conflict. That's what we have, right? And, and, and people respond to conflict different. Like, uh, it, it's amazing you know, the number of people that, you know, like when conflict comes, like conflict avoidance, like to the max. Like, they are not going to deal with conflict. They feel any kind of tension and they run away from it, right? They, they're out of there. And they're finding somewhere, oh, no, everything's fine. Everything is good. I'm not, or whatever. You know, they're just out of the room. They, their way of dealing with conflict is to run from it, to flee from it, to, you know, fight or flight, right? They're going to they're flight. They're, they're out. You know, they're, take, they're, they're out of there. However, there's others, of course, that, you know, they're in for the fight. <laughs> you know, conflict comes and it's a competition. I'm winning, right? Uh, we're taking this on face, you know, face first. Right? We're going to make this happen, you know. My wife uh, and I, we're, we're, we're great at communicating after 30 years, right? You guys just 20. You got a long, come on. Yeah, I mean, that's nothing. 20? <laughs> we're at 30. Almost 31, right? Oh, my gosh. Coming up soon this month. But, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have different, you know, this is typical of married couples, right? You have different ways of dealing with conflict. Uh, it's amazing. You know, Deb and I uh, have also, you know, done some premarital counseling with couples. And it's almost every time. It's like they are opposites on how they handle conflict, right? One of them is like, let's kill. Let's fight. Let's go. Come on. And the other one's like, nope, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this, right? And so that's my wife and I. We, we do that. You can decide which is which, right? Uh, <laughs> probably it's really hard to discern. But anyway, uh, so... So, you know, conflict, right, and how we deal with it is a, is a big deal. It's, it, it, it matters, right, and, and people have different perspectives. And so there's this reality, though, in Scripture that, like, God teaches us clearly throughout Scripture that we are to be people of peace, that, that we are supposed to strive to live at peace with one another. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and to 20, right? This amazing portion where it starts out with, hey, you know, you're in Christ, you're a new creation. But then it goes on, it says, and I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. That we would be Christ's ambassadors, portraying and communicating and proclaiming his ministry of reconciliation to the world. This is what we're called to as Christians. Indeed, Jesus, right? He is the great reconciler. He is the one who is always pursuing people, seeking to reconcile them to his father, but also seeking to reconcile us among ourselves. And so as Christians, as people of God, as children of God, as followers of Jesus, our role is the same. 
We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We are called to be people of peace. But how do we do that? <laughs> right? How do we make that happen? How do we work that out? You know, our world right now is divided. Talked about this a lot, right? Our world is, is battling each other. You know, America is, is, there's fractures everywhere. It's amazing. Like, if there can be, uh, if, there's, if there's two opposing sides to any kind of topic, like, there's a battleground there. It's amazing right now, right? Literally, it is unbelievable how many fractures there are in our country right now. We are in a world of conflict, Yet we're called to be a person of peace, to be reconcilers. So how do we do that? We're running through Genesis. Yeah, and I mean running this year. Like, I know you guys complained last year. I only did 11 chapters in Genesis. But, man, we've gone through, tw- we've gone through 12 chapters already this year. That's right. So we are in chapter 26 tonight, or tonight, today, it feels like tonight, I don't know why it feels like tonight, it's been a long day already, it feels like, I don't know, that's right, your pastor's complaining about being tired, you're welcome. All right, so Genesis chapter 26, back to our topic at hand, Genesis chapter 26, I feel like gives us this, I don't know, I see in it a, a, a point of conflict, but I feel like there's, there's some principles in it that help us to understand how God is calling us to be peacemakers. Uh, Genesis 26 is this interesting passage uh, that kind of starts with a famine and, and, then, and then, you know, Isaac jumps in and, and he, he, he moves to this land that he's not, not lived before really. It's a land that his father Abraham went to and, and then after he gets there, he kind of settles into some of his father's behaviors <laughs> and, and, and freaks out about, you know, I'm afraid to get killed by the Philistines because my wife is really beautiful. So he lies like his father did that, oh yeah, Rebecca, she's, she's just my sister or something. You know, and I, no, I'm not married to her. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, kind of thing. Right. And so we see this. So let's, let's read the first few uh, verses of Genesis chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. You know, like, I want to remind you. Remember Abraham did this? Okay, <laughs> here we go again. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Philistines. Philistines, Philistines, I've heard it both ways. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I, sh- I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offsprings, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Interesting. At the beginning of this chapter, that as we get into it, you'll see, is filled with this conflict between Isaac and the Philistines. God starts by telling Isaac who he is. You know, at this time, Isaac is like 60 years old plus, 60 plus years old. 
And in the, at least in recorded history of Isaac's life, this is the first time that God proclaims to him the promises that he had proclaimed to Abraham. 60 plus years old. So up to this point, if you assume that God hasn't spoken to him before, Isaac is, uh, is hanging on to the promises that weren't given to him, but were given to his father. But here, in the time of a famine, in the time where he needs to move and live close proximity to the Philistines, before he gets there or as he gets there, God says, hey, I want you to know who you are. I want you to know whose you are. And I think this is really important. This is, I think, the foundation for being a person of peace. We need to know who we are. So much of conflict is, comes from uh, not knowing who we are. So much of conflict comes because our fears have been pushed in some way. You know, they, they've been ignited in some way. Someone says something to us, somebody does something to us, and it causes us to be afraid. Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my life. Well, that's extreme. Or, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my value. Or, oh my gosh, they don't love me, or no one loves me. Oh my gosh, nobody loves me. What am I going to do? And so our fears are ignited. Conflict comes not just because of an offense, but because of our response to the offense. But if we really know who we are, if we know we're a child of God, if we know <laughs> that our life is secure because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, that we don't have to worry about, you know, if I am gone today, the Lord knew it was coming, and I've got all eternity to look forward to. If I know that, then the threats to my life, I don't have to be afraid of. If I know without a shadow of a doubt that I have been fully accepted by the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God who knows everything and knows me perfectly, but yet he has still accepted me into his family and loves me just as I am, that while I was still a sinner, he died for me, then I don't have to be afraid of people not loving me. If someone does something that hurts me, or if someone says they hate me, oh, that hurts. But I can still be a person of peace because I recognize that my love, the love that I need, comes from God, not from human beings. When I understand who I am and that God has created me on purpose, then I don't have to worry about my value. The fact that we have been created in the image of God means that we are valuable, not because we are valuable in and of, in and of ourselves, but because we are valuable because we are image bearers. The creator has placed his stamp on us. And because of that, we are valuable. Internally, externally, completely valuable. And so we don't have to try to find our value from other people, from their opinions, from whether or not they think that we have something to offer. The foundation of being a person of peace is understanding who we are. 
but also understand that when we know who we are, that also impacts the way we see other people. Knowing that I am an image bearer, not because I'm great, but because God created me that way, I now look at others and I see the image of God in them as well. And when I understand that every human being created in this world are image bearers, I can't help but honor that, to respect that, to, to recognize that they deserve, not deserve, but they are worthy, worthy of mercy and grace and love. So being a person of peace starts, the foundation, if you will, is us recognizing who we are. This is why, you know, as Isaac moves into this hostile land, God says, hey, I want to make sure you know, make sure you understand who you are before you get in there, before you start to deal with the conflicts that come. I want you to understand that you are mine, that you are the promised one. I love Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you've read him much, but he's author. Passed away some time ago now, but I uh, just picked up another one of his books recently uh, as they do compilations of some of his writings and that kind of stuff, uh, post-humorous, um, humorously, humor, I, I'm, post posthumously. there we go, <laughs> pronunciation. What do we need that for? That doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so I got a quote uh, from Henry now, and I'll try to pronounce it correctly. Uh, anyway, so it's in his book called Community. And he writes this, he says, it is the experience of the unconditional love of God that allows us to recognize our common human brokenness and our common need for healing. When we are pervaded by fear, we cannot be self-effacing or consider others better than ourselves. That would be mental suicide. But when we are liberated from fear by God's unlimited love, then we can give up our illusions and live out our human sameness with great freedom. Verses 6 through 11 of 26 now. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, eh, she's just my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, understand, Abimelech, this is not the same Abimelech from, uh, from Abraham days. Abimelech is a title, not necessarily a name. So the same title is used for Abraham's king of Philistines as Isaac's king, of, but it's likely someone different. So Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked out the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. At least that's my version says. Now, uh, laughing, understand, this is not, you know, they were just joking around and having a good time. This was actually, his word kind of has this illusion of doing something that you would only do with your spouse. Um, anyway, so, so Abimelech calls Isaac and says, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. 
So Isaac settles in the same area that his father does, did, and he practices the same practice of lying about his sister. And then he's confronted by Abimelech. Understand here that the offense has been committed by Isaac. Isaac has put the Philistines in great danger. He's disrespected them by saying, oh no, I'm afraid you guys are going to kill me because my wife and didn't give them the respect that they should have deserved. And he lies about them, but if something would have happened, if one of the men had lain with his wife, with Rebecca, it would have, had, it would have been disastrous for that person. It would have been a, an offense that was great. And so, so, so Isaac commits this foolish act, foolish offense against the Philistines. And that's what Abimelech is talking about. He's upset. He's like, what are you doing, Isaac? Why would you do this? I thought we were like friends. I thought, you know, we welcomed you in. We thought this was good. And, and then you do this to us? What is up with that? Dude, I said that last week, right? <laughs> that was about God, though, anyway. Uh, sorry. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Abimelech confronts Isaac. And it's amazing to see what Isaac does. His first response, like, I mean, what would your first response been? Oh, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know. What, no, that's not, I didn't do that. Right? There's none of that. Isaac immediately admits it. Yeah, you're right. I, I did lie. And, and then he makes some excuses. Well, but, you know, I was, I was afraid of you guys. I thought, you know, if I, if I told you there's my sister, that you guys would kill me and this kind of thing. And so he steps in and deals with this conflict with an apology, but it's a pretty weak apology. The reality is, is that Abimelech, if he wanted to, he didn't even have to approach Isaac. He could have just gone in and wiped him out. He could have declared war right there. So we see both Abimelech and Isaac, actually, there's conflict. Okay, Isaac does something foolish. So how do they respond? Abimelech does the right thing. He could have, you know, just, you know, gone to war, wiped him out. Could have just, you know, fled from him. But no, he engages. He says, I'm going to go. We're going to talk about this. And he challenges Isaac. Isaac does the right thing. He doesn't, you know, just like totally ignore it or try to excuse it. He just says, oh, yeah, you're right. I did it. Weak apology, but yeah, I did it. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm, I'm going to admit it. Unfortunately, this doesn't lead to reconciliation. It leads to, it leads to further tension. Being a person of peace means that we have to be someone who pursues peace. There are so many times that I've talked to people that have been hurt in some way, and I'm the first one they come and talk to, or maybe the 12th person they come and talk to. And when I ask them, have you talked to the person who hurt you? And they say no. And I'm like, wait a second, what are you doing? If we're going to be people of peace... We have to deal with the conflict. We have to engage it. We have to pursue peace. In order to pursue peace, we've got to go to the person who's offended to us. And it's the same for the one who has offended someone else. When they come and confront, we so often get defensive. Well, you did this, or whatever, you know, no, I didn't mean to really mean it that way, whatever. And so we, we, we get defensive instead of Admitting and having the conversation, engaging. Wait a second. Oh, that's how, let's, let's talk about this. Oh, you're, you know what? You're right. I, I didn't mean to do that or I, I, 
Yeah, you know, actually, I did mean to do that. I was really mad, and I shouldn't have been, and that was, you know, we need to be pursuing peace. We as human beings are so, it's at least American, Western you know, human beings, we're so afraid of conflict sometimes. And I get, like, conflict is hard. I get it can be difficult. It can be emotional. But the, what's the alternative? Again, if we know who we are, if we know that we're a child of God, then we don't have to worry, like, about stepping in to deal with conflict. We don't have to worry about confronting someone that's offended us. We don't have to worry about admitting our sin. Because human beings are not the favor of who we're looking to achieve, right? We are looking to God, and we already have that. We don't need this relationship. We want this relationship. And so we can engage because our condition, our position is not in danger by this conflict. But also because they are image bearers. We owe them the respect and the honor. Even our enemies, even those who have hurt us very badly, deserve us to engage them with conflict resolution. We have to pursue peace. We can't run from it. The reality is, is oftentimes it's not the conflict that divides us. It's our response to it. It's sad to hear stories of people that where one hurt the other and they never talked about it. But they've never seen each other again. It's sad when someone does try to deal with it and the offending party refuses to admit any wrong and just exits. Instead of running from the offense or denying the fence, the defense, oh, I, man, I tell you, try again. Instead of running from the offense or denying the offense, we have to be open and willing to engage with repentance and forgiveness. Most of the time, the initial conflict is not what causes broken relationships. It's how we respond to it. If as the offender, we refuse to admit our offense, or as the one offended, we refuse to accept repentance, the relationship will not be restored. Peace will not be restored. But we should not be surprised by conflict. We are humans, fallen human beings. Why are we surprised that we sometimes do dumb things? And even more so, why are we surprised that others do things that hurt us sometimes? Like I said a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about community, right? The church is not safe. There is no community that is safe. Where two or three are gathered, there will be conflict. And so if we have this crazy utopian perspective that I can someday be in a community where everyone will love me every time and I will love them every time. That place does not exist. <laughs> Amen. This side of heaven. Thank you for the correction. That's good. Addition, not correction. Addition. That was good. Right? And so 
If conflict is part of the reality of being human and living in community, then we must seek to engage it, not flee from it. Too many Christians have bounced from church to church to church because this church hurt them. They did something wrong, and now they're moving on to something new. Now, wait a second. If you want real community, if you want real understanding, if you want real unity, then you fight through conflict. But more than that, you're a child of God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We should be the, we should be the last ones to give up on conflict resolutions. And we should be the first ones to engage with conflict resolution. Pursue peace. All right. Genesis 26, now we're going 12 to 25. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given him. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called, in, uh, called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So we see this conflict that has arisen. We see that Abimelech has publicly declared the disrespect that Isaac has shown them. Told, told the people, the Philistines, this is a dangerous man. You need to watch out for him because he is not trustworthy. And so how do the Philistines react? They're angry, they're afraid, they see his wealth. Certainly, that's part of the, the, this, this tension. They see all his wealth and how he's prospered, and they become afraid of him because of that. But it's also this bitterness that continues to build the anger over his disrespect. And so he digs a well. They say, hey, that's our well. You can't have that. That's our water. What are you doing? Because they're trying to push him out, to ostracize him, to banish him from their land. The tension continues, but notice that when Isaac moves, he doesn't move very far. He kind of first just goes to the valley, and he digs a well, but he's still close to the Philistines. They don't like that. That's too close. So he kind of moves again, gets a little bit further away, digs another well. They still don't like that. Finally, he moves a little further, gets far enough away from them, and now they're kind of, okay, that's far enough. We'll stop messing with you. And then eventually we see he actually moves kind of back home. And God shows up and encourages him. 
once again saying, hey, you're the promised one. Remember who you are? And Isaac builds an altar and worships God. <laughs> so what's going on here? We see in this the cost of peace. You know, to find peace, to be a person of peace, to, to experience and enjoy peace, it costs something. It's not easy, right? It, it's not something that's just like, oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I just said a couple things. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgive you. It's great. We're done. We're moving, right? It sometimes can be very difficult depending on the level of the offense. Isaac continues to seek reconciliation. He knows he's done something wrong. He knows his uh, initial apology wasn't the best. But, you know, Isaac could have just took off. As soon as the Abimelech came to him and said, hey, we want you out of here. He could have just gone. He could have gone back home and got out of there and just been done with it. Washed his hands, I'm done. But no, he moves, but he stays close. You know, when, we're, when we've offended someone, so often, like, when we step in or they confront us and we give that apology and we don't get forgiveness right away, what do we do? Some of us can get really upset by that. Wait a second, I apologize. I said I was sorry. Why won't you give me forgiveness? And we get all upset and then we flee. We run out. Like, we're like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't know. I tried my best. I did my thing. I said I'm sorry, right? You know, kind of thing, right? You know, Isaac doesn't do that. He stays engaged, right? Because conflict resolution can take some time. Depending on the level of the offense, the person who's been offended, it may take them some time to process the emotions that they have just been going through, right? And what they're dealing with. It may take them time to process the anger and the frustration, the emotions that come from that. And so when we have offended someone, we need to recognize there's a cost to getting reconciliation. The cost is that it is not up to us. For when the reconciliation, when the forgiveness comes, it is up to the one we've offended. And we, when we've done something wrong, should always come with humility. Recognizing that there would have been no conflict if I hadn't done something wrong, if I hadn't hurt them. And since I've hurt them, I need to understand that the resolution of that conflict is dependent on me making proper apologies, repentance, and amends for my fault. We have to recognize that the cost of peace means we as the offender must come with humility. We don't come with demands or with expectations we come with a deep respect for the image bearer and sorrow for the pain that we've caused. We recognize that we are the ones who've caused the tension and thus restoration of the relationship is largely about us making proper amends for the pain that we've caused. So we keep trying. Notice Isaac, he moves to the valley not enough. They push him further, so he moves again, but not out of the valley yet. It's not enough. They push him again, so eventually he gets out a little bit further, still not home, still kind of close enough, so if something was to happen, if something was to change, reconciliation can happen. Finally, after some time, he realizes that's about it. I guess there's really no hope, and so he does eventually move home. 
We don't have to try to bring resolution as the offender forever. There is a point where if the person that we've offended will not forgive us, we can let it go. And the beauty is that, again, because we're children of God, our identity is in him, not in the reconciliation of this relationship. But more than that, our perfection is not in ourselves. And so we don't have to feel shame over the sin that caused the broken relationship for eternity. We can feel that certainly in the moment, do proper things to amend for that and to apologize and repent. And if the, if the offended party never comes and gives forgiveness, we can let go of it. And we can move on with our life. Yet always ready if the offended party ever comes to reconcile. What about the ones who have been offended. What happens when the apologies are weak? <laughs> when we've been hurt and we, we tend to maybe want to lash out. Some of us want revenge. Other of us try to isolate. I, don't want to, I, just, I just don't want to be around that person anymore. Maybe we want to punish them <laughs> by removing relationship or maybe we just, we just don't want them to have an opportunity to hurt us anymore. But there's a cost to peace. Even though it's painful when we've been hurt by someone, we have to engage in conversation with them. We have to engage. We have to deal with it. When the apology is weak, we communicate. When the sympathy does not rise to the level that it should, we explain. When the offender, when we understand that the offender is created in the image of God, we continue to engage and to seek reconciliation. The cost of peace means we resist lashing out or banishing the offender, but instead we choose to stay engaged. When the apology is weak, we don't act or isolate, attack or isolate, we communicate. We explain what they can do to make fully, to fully make amends. When their sympathy doesn't match our wounding, we try and help them understand more fully the pain they have caused. Instead of de demonizing the offender, we see the image of God in them. Sure, it's a stained image. But remember that the image we reflect is stained as well. When we understand and know our own sinfulness, and understand, again, we have been fully accepted by God despite our rebellion, despite our sinfulness. We've been forgiven. <laughs> then we can continue to engage with the ones who have hurt us. I should note as well, just briefly, that forgiveness without repentance <laughs> is not offered by God. Let me say that again. Forgiveness without repentance is not offered by God. Right? If we want to be accepted into his family, yeah, our sins are forgiven. They're all going to be taken care of. They're paid for on the cross. But we don't get to experience that forgiveness until we admit our sin. 
until we repent. So we understand that in human relationships that there may be a time if repentance is not given that that relationship is not going to be reconciled. Because someone needs to understand the hurt that they've caused. The danger we have to be careful of is assuming that every conflict is at that level. Assuming that every time someone hurts us, uh, we're going to you know, have this high, high bar for the, the apology and the penance they need to do in order for us to, you know, we need to be gracious with that as well and careful with getting that too extreme. I also should note that there are some offenses where the trust has been broken so substantially that while repentance comes and forgiveness is given, still the relationship will not be able to be restored. And because of that, and, and when that happens, we go away from that with sadness, but also with hope that someday in eternity, the great reconciler will help to deal with all of that pain and suffering and offense and that we'll be able to see even this person who's offended us so deeply and have nothing but love in our heart. All right. Let's read the final verses of this chapter, verses 26 to 33, and then we'll move on, get on out of here. When Abimelech went to the hymn, when Abimelech, so he, Isaac's servants dug the well, he's back home, and then Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why you've come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done, you, done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and they drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba. To this day. Uh, maybe a shocking twist at the end of this story. This is into this event. Like, I mean, it starts out with, you know, Abimelech and Isaac, and it seems like, you know, things are going pretty well. They've got this, you know, relationship that are, that's working out. Everything's okay between him and Philistines. And then Isaac does something dumb, and Abimelech gets ticked off, you know, understandably. And then all the Philistines are upset, like, get out of here. We don't want you here. And, and you know, Isaac's trying to reconcile. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it just doesn't work. Finally, Isaac gives up. He's like, okay, I guess I'll just go back home. I, I thought maybe we could reconcile this thing, but it's not going to happen. So he's kind of doing his thing, going about his business, digging another well, and then out of the blue, Memelech shows up. He's like, hey, Isaac. And Isaac's like, what are you doing here? Like, you kicked me out. You're like, oh, you hate me. Like, why are you even here? But God did something. Memelech realized 
you realize like Isaac was a big enough, he had, a, he had enough people, he had enough soldiers, he had enough, he had enough stuff there that he could have taken them. He could have wiped out the Philistines. He could, have, he could have gone to war with them and Isaac would have won. But Isaac didn't. He was humble. He admitted his sin. And he continued to try to get a respectful distance. And because he did that, Abimelech sees, oh my gosh, God has blessed Isaac. Isaac's not worried about it. He's, he's like moved on from us. What, what happened? How could that be? And he realizes the Philistines are back in, Phil, you know, they're like in Gerar. They're like all upset. Like they're still kind of worked up over this. And I think Abimelech goes, wait a second. We're all worked up over this, but they've like totally moved on. What's going on? <laughs> and so he comes to Isaac and says, Isaac, can, can, can we just like, let's reconcile. Let's, I, I want us to be able to have an oath together. You promise to do no harm to me anymore. I'll promise to not harm you. And, and let's, let's coexist together. <sighs> Amazing, right? The, the blessings that come from peace. I think the blessing, first of all, is that we recognize that God is going to bless those of us who are seeking to reconcile with one another, seeking to live at peace with one another. That God just, he's going he's gonna to help us. He's going to encourage us. He's going to bless us in that. He's going to bless our life. He's going to allow us to enjoy things that maybe we wouldn't if we were always fighting, if we were always resisting uh, conflict resolution. But also the blessing, I think, of being a person of peace is that it impacts those around us. Abimelech changed because of what he saw in Isaac and the way that Isaac dealt with that conflict resolution. It changed the way Abimelech saw things to the point that he was actually desirous of peace. He wanted peace too. He wanted to experience that. He's like, I want what Isaac has. I want to be able to live with that kind of freedom. But the final thing, and maybe, maybe this is the best, I don't know, as far as a blessing goes from being a person of peace, is that we get to join Jesus in what he's doing. This is, what, this is his work on earth. Jesus every day is pursuing people to bring peace, to reconcile them to his father, but again, reconcile them to each other. And when we choose to be a person of peace, when we understand who we are in God, that we are a child of God, if we, when we choose to pursue peace, when we choose to pay the price, the cost of peace, then we get to be with Jesus, united with him, doing the things that, we, that he's doing, being a part, kind of on the front lines, if you will, of bringing reconciliation. Because the reconciliation that comes between two people can oftentimes lead to a reconciliation between the Father and them. But also the reconciliation between the Father and them also can lead to reconciliation with each other. God blesses those who pursue peace. So how about you? Are you a person of peace? Are you in conflict right now? If so, what are you doing about it? Have you ran away from it? Or have you engaged? Have you stepped away or have you stepped in? Are you working to resolve it? Maybe you just need to be reminded of who you are first. 
You're a child of God. As a child of God, your life is secure. You are unconditionally loved. And you bear the image of the king. And because of that, he's called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Maybe we just need to be reminded of who we are. Have you offended someone? Recently, have you apologized? Now, not just some weak apology, but actual apology, like where you admit what you did. Have you stayed close even when they've rejected your apology? Have you been offended recently? Have you engaged? Have you communicated? Church, life is certainly filled with conflict. But we are called to be peacemakers. Achieving this high calling comes through finding our identity in him. This knowledge, along with the Spirit's empowerment, equips us to be great at reconciliation. The humility and respect of others that comes from being made in God's image gives us the right attitude to restore our broken relationships. But it will only happen if we pursue peace and are willing to pay the price for it. But if we do, we will reap the great blessings that come from joining Jesus and being a peacemaker. Worship team, come forward. Oh, wow. Time flies as we're having fun. May we step with boldness into this world of conflict and broken relationships. And may we be ambassadors of reconciliation seeking to bring peace everywhere we go for God's glory and for our blessing. Amen. Church, let's stand. We'll sing a song, and then I'll come up and close. Heavenly Father, thank you for accepting us into your family. Lord, help us to know that deeper and deeper each day, but uh, Lord, also help us in this world of conflict and tension, Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Romans 12, 17 and following, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay it, pay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, church. If you would like prayer this morning, we would love to pray for you. Come up. We got some folks that would love to pray with you. Have a blessed day. God bless you all.